Mr. Mo, you're up, man. Glory to God. Let's give Mo a hand. You may want to save it to later because, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got to tell you, this past week, uh, Marie and I went to the bookstore. You know how the scriptures say, confess your sins to one another. So we go to the bookstore, and um, I go in there, and I immediately see this book that I say, you know, Marie, I think I'm going to get that book. It was the John Gresham, uh, the Biloxi Boys, or whatever it is. I said, no, I, I don't read very much. But I, I said, man, maybe I might want to read that book. So I bought it. Or I was going to buy it. And then Marie goes this way, and I go this way, and I'm walking around a bookstore. And I see something, and I start, like, reading this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm not supposed to as coffee, right? So uh, walking around, I, I said, nah, nah, nah I'm not going to coffee that thing. Then I start, it's, I start thinking about, I, I start actually lusting after this thing. It's like, <laughs> I've got to have this thing, you know? And uh, so I thought to myself, how am I going to stop this coveting and this lust? So I went and had bought it. I bought it. <laughs> and what I, what I was coveting and lust is this Bible right here. Look at this Bible. I'm telling you, this is the most beautiful Bible I have ever seen. It's got this old brown leather binding, a faux leather, might be faux leather, and it just has Holy Bible written across the front of it. It's got this old booky looking thing on the side of it like that. Isn't it nice? Mm -hmm. My favorite Bible. Now, it's New International Version, which is, yeah, it's okay. And, uh, and I've been like reading it. And, the, you know, we're talking about the technology, how we're looking at everything on a computer and cell phones and everything. It was, like, nice to get back to actually reading in a physical book, Bible, like, you know. And I'm going to do that today. I as, thought you as said as it was continue. New King James. What's that? I thought you said it was New King James. It is New King James. What did I say? NIV. NIV. Did I say NIV? Yeah. Yeah. Forgive me for saying that. Now that... I requires forgiveness. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Did I say NIV? Okay. So, anyway, what I wanted to talk about this week is uh, I was reading through the book of Romans in the last couple of weeks, and I was struck considering what Greg has been teaching about the cross, okay? I was struck with the way the Apostle Paul begins the book of Romans and, and, and writes through this book at how as you proceed through that book, you can see that he's going from point A to point B. He's going somewhere with this book. It's not just like he's presenting this body of information about the Lord and about the truth. Just listen to this and hear the truth. But he's actually taking you from one point to another. And that's what I want to talk about today, is how God takes something that is carnal and actually 
causes it to become or to be spiritual. How does, how does somebody take something that is like of the earth and make it into something that is living or alive? And uh, that's what I want to talk to talk about today. Now, we got to remember something. And if you would, turn with me if you have your Bible. I know you've probably got it on your computer here. But if you, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. Listen, Paul is talking about the resurrection the physical resurrection of the human body. But he says something as he's communicating to us that is I, I, that struck me, that I found interesting. This is what he says. He says, all flesh is not the same. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh of beasts, of the fish, and of the birds. There are also celestial bodies, and uh, bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is not the glory of the terrestrial. It, it, it's another type of glory. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon. And there is a glory of the stars that differ from one another star uh, from star to star so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul or a living being. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit, speaking of Jesus. Adam became a life-giving being who gave life to his uh, predecessors or those who came after him. And the last man, Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. This is important to consider as we get into this. So somehow or another, this Jesus became a quickening spirit that enlivened that which is carnal, just like our fleshly body. One day, sown in corruption, will be raised incorruptible. But this man, Jesus, came in 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 the who came in the flesh came that he might make that which is carnal alive very important to consider that the first man adam was earthly and the second man was from heaven he was from the earth the second man was from heaven as it is with the earthy such it is uh, such are they also that are earthy and it as it is with the heavenly such it is with the heavenly and as we have become born the image 
of the earthy, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. So what came first? The earthy and then that which is spiritual. That's what this thing is all about. So first comes the physical and then comes the spiritual. And we're going to see how Paul in the book of Romans transitions from that period of, from, from the one to the other. By the way, this is interactive. So if anybody wants to say something, if I say something that keys something in your mind where you want to say something, raise your hand and, and, and we'll talk about it. So, turn with me if you would to uh, okay before we go on before we go on you see this little diagram I got here where I have the carnal life well, by the way there is life in these in, in the bodies of every human being whether you know the Lord or you don't know the Lord there's a life it's a fleshly life it's a carnal life but there is a life that exists there and we live that life that's what this thing here is this line here but then there is a spiritual life that came through the Lord and that life intertwines with the life that is carnal. but the purpose of that spiritual life is to bring life to that which is carnal. but for that to take place there has to be a death to occur. Something that is carnal needs to come to an end so that which is spiritual can take its place. You know, y'all know I took psychology in college. Well, it's kind of interesting, but when you are looking at the human mind, studying the mind and human behavior, okay? One of the things that we were taught, and I, and I mean, I, it's pretty apparent that this is true. If somebody's exhibiting some kind of a behavior that is not normal, not right, it, destructive, whatever, you can't really tell that person, uh, quit doing that. And you just need to quit doing that behavior because it's self-destructive. It's hurting other people. Just quit doing that thing. And that person look at it and say, you know what? You're right. It is self-destructive. I'm hurting other people. And I'm going to quit doing that. They can't do it. And why is that? Because you have to supplant something else for that behavior. So what they do is they take this person and they say, look, instead of doing this, do this. And from a carnal perspective, it can kind of work because when you supplant that screwed up behavior with some other behavior that is positive, it can kind of take place. But if you leave that thing void, that behavior, is going to come back. And there is a spiritual analogy that is taking place there. Something has to take place of the carnal that the spiritual can manifest. And that's what we're going to get into. We're going to see how Paul 
interwove these things together with the carnal, that that which is spiritual might actually emerge. Now, when you look at the book of Romans, let me get my, uh, my technology up here, hopefully. When you look at uh, the beginning of the book of Romans, there is verbiage that talks about human behavior. I mean, y'all have read the beginning of the book of, you know, uh, and it doesn't speak real well of human behavior, like bad things, got people do bad things. And it looks like this indictment on people's behavior. So you're thinking to yourself, He's going to tell us what to do, not to correct that bad behavior. That's not what he does. He does something else. He brings us to a point where after looking at the downfalling of the behavior of human beings, what he's doing here is he's bringing us into the picture because we are carnal and we look at things. We look at the good behavior and the bad behavior. Why don't these people just do this? Why don't, why don't I just do the right thing? Why can't I do the right thing? So he's entering into the carnal that something else might emerge. So after this kind of scathing look at human behavior, he gets to this point, and this is in, this is in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says this, But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus, unto all and upon all that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. So he took us from this thing that looked like we're being condemned for our behavior. And then he says, listen, the whole world is under the auspices of sin and death. And God had to find a way to redeem us and to justify us apart from our works. Why would, you, why would God have to find a way to completely justify us? This is a question. Be thinking, because I want somebody to answer. Why would he have to find a way to completely justify those who believe in God through him? And it not be through the deeds of the law or through our fleshly pursuit unto righteousness. Why did it have to 
Why was it necessary that we be justified in such a way? Because we were dead. Right. So what Jim just shared is because there was there was death that existed in the world. And the reason the behaviors were manifesting in the world is that it that those behaviors were just the fruit of of death. Yeah. Now we're going to switch over. Turn with me if you would, and I'm going to read out my new hard hard Bible. <laughs> there we go. Oh no! <laughs> you see the glory. <laughs> All right. I like this. What page did you on? We can. What page? <laughs> 1340. Turn to page 1340 in your Bible. So, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Now, we're going to see, we're going to read through a couple of chapters of the book of Romans and watch this transition take place. By the way, let me just do this. Now, this is Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Now, before we get started, we're going to talk about something. You know, I know nobody has ever, like, accused anybody in this church of being repetitious. We never repeat anything more than one time, right? Okay. Well, at the risk of sounding repetitious, I've got to go back and discuss uh, something that occurred a long time ago. And that is what happened in the Garden of Eden. So what happened in the Garden of Eden? The man and the woman chose to believe that through his knowledge of good and evil, he could be like God. Through his knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he could be like God. Now that belief system brought sin and death into the world. As a result of that, you see all the behaviors that had man manifest in the world. So, there has to be some kind of change in, in, in belief there, there had to be another way to understand life and to know God apart from the knowledge of good and evil. But as we previously talked about, God entered into the carnal, right? And he did that through something called the law. Now, what was the purpose of the law? We could not follow the law. I would say the scriptures are pretty clear. It says that the law came to reveal sin, that we might know what sin is. 
our separation from God. Right. So what the law did was reveal sin. Revealed. Excuse my spelling, by the way. And what is sin? I think it's separation from God. It's well, trying to do things on your own, not through. Not through. Absolutely. It, it, what you're saying is, is completely valid, but explanation has to take place there. Sin is believing that through your knowledge of good and evil, you can attain life. Yeah. Through your efforts, through your arm, you can attain to God-likeness, eternal life. No. I want you to understand something. The whole religious world believes that, that righteousness comes through our knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. I know right and wrong, good from evil. The law of Moses tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. And the object of human life is to try to obey the law to attain the righteousness that we desire. That's how the world thinks. That's how the religious world thinks. You can be an atheist and be under the law. You don't have to know the law of Moses, which, by the way, when we get into this in, in chapter 7, it, it's Paul is talking to the Romans. He, he is actually talking to the church in Rome, which the, probably the vast majority of the believers in Rome were not under the law of Moses. They were not Jewish people. That's right. So they had to have an understanding of the law apart from the law of Moses. We all have, a, listen, we all think we know right from wrong, good from evil. And what we do in our hearts and in our minds, whether it's through the law of Moses or through our own consciences, we set up a, uh, if I do these things, life is going to be good, right? Yeah. And if we do these things, it's going to be bad. So, we can have life or we can have death through our knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus said that way leads to death. That is not the way. That's a little bit of a point I'm going to tell you because I don't care whether you're Muslim, a Christian, a Mormon, a Hare Krishna, whatever you want to call it. We all have the laws that we live by that we think is going to give us life. And God says, that way leads to death. That's a problem. It's a quandary for humanity because that's what we all believe. So what is the way of Jesus that we see in Jesus that leads to life? What is that way? We're going to read through it right now. So this is Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or oh, do you not know, brethren, for I speak? to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has an husband is, is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if her husband lives, she marries another. She is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law, so that she is no not an adulteress, though she marries another man. 
Now, this is not some teaching about divorce and remarriage or death and remarriage, nothing, nothing about that. It has to do with your being bound to a belief system that actually you need to die to in order to find another thing to believe in. So, so we were married to the law and we have to die to that belief system, that way that we might be alive, I-V-E, to another. And what is that another? Okay. So, this is which, what Paul writes. He says, um, Therefore, brethren, this is verse 4, we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that we may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit for God. Now, this is a crazy thing. So the whole world thinks we know right from wrong, good from evil. We're going to establish ourselves this way. Listen, we see it in the political system. We see it in the religious systems. We see it in the social system. We see it between man and woman, husband and wife. Everybody thinks they know right from wrong, good from evil. And they believe that they're going to be established through that knowledge of good and evil. And we live our lives like that. But Paul says this, Therefore, brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another, to him, who was raised from the dead, that you might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, and we bore fruit for death. So when we were married to the law, we bore fruit. For death. Now, let's look at that for a second. When we were in the flesh, the passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members, bearing fruit for death. What does that mean? Now, I can tell you how I've been taught that it meant. The law said, don't commit adultery. And when that law came to me, and I said, you know what? It's right that I don't commit adultery. What was in my mind was adultery. Don't commit adultery. It brought to mind adultery. So that when a pretty girl came around, 
because I am in the flesh and have no ability to uh, actually obey the law, my weakened flesh tended to go in that direction, to an adulterous direction. Now, there is a little bit of truth that exists there. But the real, the real uh, passions that are aroused by the law come in this way. Because we believe that we know right from wrong and good from evil, the law came to us and it reinforced a system of believing that through the law, we could attain, we could attain God-likeness. Now, so it is arousing in me the very thing that was killing me. That is where the, the sinful passion is aroused. So it caused me to look to my flesh to gain life. Now, I'm talking about the carnal commandments of the law. Now, you know, when you look at the overall law, it talks about that, and it also talks about a sacrifice that would save us from our inability to keep the law. Okay, so we're going to go on. But now that we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. It's kind of interesting about my Bible, right? So you people are coveting after something, and believe it or not, they're coveting after something that is worth coveting. They're coveting life. They want to experience life. They want to experience a life that, that overcomes all the sin and death that exists in this world. They're coveting that, but they're going about it by the wrong way. They, they, they're doing it through the knowledge of good and evil. So what shall we say is the law of sin? On the contrary, uh, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. But sin, taking opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me all manner of, of evil desire because it led me back to the same system that was driving my behavior to begin with. I was, I was alive once without the law, but then the commandment came and sin were by and I died. The commandment, which was, to, was meant to bring life, I found to bring death. Not because there was something wrong with the law, but because there was something in me that misused the law, misunderstood the law. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is good and holy and just. Has then what is, is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, 
that it might appear sin produced in me through what was good, so that through sin, through, or through the commandment, sin might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold as a slave to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Now listen, we're going to read through something here. We're going to read through Paul's experience. Trying to live according to the flesh. Listen, listen to what he says. For, I, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I do not practice. But what I hate to do, that I do. If then I do what I will not do or don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. You, do you see his, his desire to do what is right, but in his flesh, the inability to do that? For the good that I will do, or would do, I do not. But the evil I would not do, that is what I practice. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it is not no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to in the one who wills to do good. But I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, in my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So, What Paul is communicating to us is simply this, that at one time he found himself, he was married to the law. And when he tried to live according to the law, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, he found himself constantly going back to his flesh for life. He continually, he found himself doing this. So he said, who will free me from this endless circle, this body of death? Who will free him from that? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, in my mind, In my mind, he was a slave to righteousness, but in his flesh, 
Therefore, <laughs> see this whole thing? We died. We just, we died to this so that this whole system of life might be complete. Let me do it this way. Might be completely obliterated. whole system of thinking and belief might be done away with that we might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead so based on that in the reality that we died in progressively are dying Now, when I say that, that bears a little explanation. What does it mean if we're dead? How can I say that we are dying? You see how Paul was struggling with something? This is after he came to know the Lord, okay? So he's progressively dying to the belief system that he could attain life through the flesh. Now, he was dead, but yet he is also in the process of dying to that belief system. So... As a result, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law. We'll summarize it like that. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, as we talk, spoke about, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to, on, and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So at the cross, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh and did away with sin. He purified the human race from sin, only to be believed on, onto life, onto that life. So, again, for what the law could not do, and that was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. He, in, in so doing, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the spirit on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. 
So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossibility for someone to be over here to please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Anybody got any thoughts about what we're talking about? I am. So, when he died on the cross, mm -hmm. the flesh died. Yes. Spirit did not. The veil in the temple was torn. The separation of man from God was removed. And then when he's risen, he proves the unity of man with God again. But we have to choose to be one with God. I would like to say that when you when you say choose to be one with God, I would say that the cross itself <coughs> proved God's love for us. And when we can see, when we come to realize that this guy went through such lengths to join himself to our humanity and die our death away at the cross. And we see this guy wants to just give us eternal life as a free gift apart from our works. And we look at that. It elicits something within us. It, it may seem like a choice to us, but what it really is the love of Christ constrains or uh, causes us, influences us to believe on him for the life that he has to give us. And listen, when you do that, when you come to that point, when he convinces you of his love for you and the fact that he purified the human race from sin at the cross and wants to give us eternal life, when you believe on that God, something happens within us. It may seem a choice to us, but in reality, it's something that, that God himself won us over to. I'd love to go back to the very beginning of the Book of Romans and, 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 and look at some of this stuff and how he brings us all the way through this thing to this point, because it, it, it's all designed and meant to show us the love of Christ that, 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 that constrains us to believe on him. I'm going to sneak back because I want, you to, I want you to hear this one kind of crazy thing from, I think it's Romans chapter 1, it, if I can find it. Uh, might be... two pages listen to, what, listen to what it says in chapter it's actually chapter 3 of Romans he says this very interesting 
what shall we say then? Are we any better than they? Are, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? Are the Gentiles better than the Jews? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, the law of sin and death. They're all under that belief system. And then he says this curious thing. He says, for there is none righteous. There is none that understands, none that seeks after God. Now I got to ask you a question. When you look back at the patriarchs, Moses, uh, Daniel, the prophets, it says, for there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands, none that seeks after God. How is that possible? How do you explain Moses? How do you explain David? Didn't they appear as men who were seeking after God? They cer most certainly did. And did they seek after God? Actually, they did. But you know how, how that came to fruition in their life? God was at work in their life, convincing them and constraining them unto faith, unto belief. God was revealing something unto them that caused them to believe. Because no man just does it haphazardly. Something has to come to you that is worthy of belief, yes. worthy to believe in in order for you to believe. A man doesn't believe in something out of nothing. There has to be something communicated to us. And as Paul writes here, nobody just innately is seeking after God. The, the, the man that shared the cross with Christ um, knew he was wrong, knew sin was causing him death. Mm -hmm. He even said with his own mouth, I'm guilty. And I I love the thought that when he looked at Christ, he saw his own innocence in Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me. Yeah. I love that. And the in the way he gives me goosebumps. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> the 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 the, re, the reason that he saw innocence over there was he looked at a God who was looking at people who were crucifying, plucked his beard out, spit on him. Mm -hmm. drove nails in a, in a crown of thorns onto his head and had he in this guy he had nothing but love and compassion for the people who were doing this to him nobody was mistreated quite like jesus was considering who jesus was a man who had done nothing wrong his whole life he was the perfect man but they rejected and despised him and thought that god was doing this to him they even said, if God is your father, let him come rescue you. But he looked at these people who were doing this and saying these things to him, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the thief on the other cross, look, one of them did not receive that word. This guy over here saw the love of God pouring out toward people who were completely, how, how, does, how does Romans say? There's none righteous, no, not one. Looked at those who are not righteous and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm. Why? 
because he recognized the love of God that was pouring out to him from the cross. And God's desire is for the same spirit, same way that was in Jesus, to be within us, to be our way. That was the whole purpose. Now, this is kind of interesting, and we're, we're going to get to the crux of the matter as we proceed. Go ahead. Maurice, would you just expound on when it says it, it's not pleasing to God? Because coming out of, you know, if anybody's listening, that's coming out of like Word of Faith where it was like we had to do, and if we didn't do, then God wasn't pleased with us. Mm -hmm. Where we know that it's nothing that we do, it's the belief system. So will you just expound a little bit on what that means, pleasing okay. to let me just say this. We'll go back to the thief on the cross to explain that. The thief on the cross. I want you to understand. They were hanging him for being a thief. But that was the least of this guy's problems. Believe me. He had many issues in his life. And he, but he recognized, he said, listen, what is coming to me is on this cross here is the fruit of the works of my hands okay but this guy over here is completely forgiving the people who are crucifying him so when he looked to jesus and saw that love that love was revealed to him for the ones crucifying Jesus, and for him. It purified his heart before God, knowing that God loved and accepted him fully and completely because he chose to believe, to, to, to love us in such a way. God no longer looks on our sins. You know, it's curious, another scripture in the book of Romans, it says that he reconciled us and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely this. This is our ministry, by the way. If you want to know what a ministry is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, just like he did with the people who were crucifying and the thief on the cross next to him, not counting men's sins against them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In almost the entire Christian realm that you can imagine, God is still counting our sins against us. And when I say that, they wouldn't say, no, well, he's not counting our sins against us. But the sin is building up a wall between you and the Lord that you can't see him. You can't experience his life. You can't experience fellowship with God because if you're sinning and doing wrong things, you are building a wall between you and the Lord. That's what most evangelical, not just evangelical, just in general Christian religion teaches. But the reality is that wall was rent in two at the cross. God is no longer counting our sins together to us at the cross. He sees us as perfect and innocent. So to expound on what, 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 what you're saying here, the person building up the wall 
and you can't build up a wall is by believing that God is building a wall or that there is a wall being built between you and God by sin. That sin no longer exists. And as Peter would say later, he says, add to your faith patience and goodness and faith, you know, all, all of these things, faithfulness and everything. And he says that if these things, if the, the, the qualities of God's life are not continually being built in you, you have forgotten one thing. You know what it was? That your sins have been purged from you. That is the only thing that would keep God's life from manifesting in you is to not know that you have been purged from your past sins. And you know how many of your sins in the past? Every single one of them. That's the Santa Claus gospel. I'm sorry? The Santa Claus gospel. Yeah. <laughs> Better watch out. They're not out. They're not there was a uh, I, who was it ray stevens santa claus is coming do you y'all remember that yeah. it's really a funny funny song he, he's uh he he says because santa claus is watching you and then his little voice comes on he's everywhere he's everywhere <laughs> really that's not the lord it's okay? sad but that's what's taught it is almost that but listen to this. Now, this is, this is where we're going to get to the crux of the matter here. So how is this life fully manifested in us? Listen to this. Therefore, brethren, this is uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you live according to spirit, uh, and put to death the deeds of the body you will live. And that's who we as believers, we put to death the, the, the flesh uh, it, it, with, with its deeds. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you're the son of God. You are a son of God. And he goes on. And if children, we're heirs, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together with him. So this is what the deal is. We're heirs of God. So what does it mean to be an heir of God? Anybody got it? I mean, can you put that in a word? It means that we, God, is ours. And we are God's. We are, have been made one with our Father who is in heaven. So we have been made an heir of God. He goes on. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the entire creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Listen, the cre whole creation is looking and waiting and hoping for the manifestation of God 
in our human bodies. They're waiting for the glorification of, of our human bodies. That at that time, the whole world will be in and of God. But the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But we know that the whole creation groans and, and labors with birth pangs together with, until now. But not only that, we who also have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our bodies. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is no hope. For why does someone hope for what he, what, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. In other words, our bodies have not yet been glorified, but they're going to be glorified. And we wait for it we, in eager expectation, because that's going to be a good day. For if our hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for quite often. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that can be, cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew. Now listen to this. Who did he foreknow? Us. <laughs> them that believe in Jesus. Them that are saved. Them that have the Spirit. For, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. In whom he called, he also justified. In those he justified, he also glorified. I want to tell you something. As a, as a believer, we have been called, we have been justified, and we have been glorified. Now, that is a reality. That's not something that's being hopeful. What's being hoped for is our glorified bodies. But the fact that we have been justified before God and have been glorified, fully sanctified, seen as innocent before God, that is a present reality. And it is believing that, that we die to the life of striving. You know, as Paul was striving to like be the right kind of guy and not, it not working out for him, we die to that belief system and just walk around in the reality that we have been made perfect forever. We have been made perfect forever. So you have your, your friends that, you know, from Church of God or whatever church that was, who we have been made perfect forever. For by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You walk around knowing that and allow that to become a part of your experience, part of your life you are going to have a very different life, a very good life. 
Anybody have? Yes. Mo, um, I don't know if these two things are unrelated mm -hmm. or if they're related. I don't know. So the R dying, D-Y-I-N-G, R dying, right? Mm -hmm. And then alive to Christ. Is that related to Luke to take the cross daily and follow me? Or is that unrelated? Well, I can't say that it's not it, that it's not unrelated. But the real the real issue is this: that you know how I talked about earlier. Unless you supplant one thing, the something much better for what was okay. It is really impossible to uh, experience the life to which we were called. Okay, well, in Christ. We died to human self-effort unto righteousness, and we are alive to God in the reality that we've been fully justified, sanctified, and glorified in Christ. So we're dead. We are dead to that. But in our experience, you know, the Apostle Paul. No, the Apostle Paul knows that for by one sacrifice. He hath perfected forever them that are that are sanctified. Okay, but he said this of himself: not that I have already attained all this, but I press on to the higher goal, the higher calling of Christ. So, in Paul's human experience, as well as our human experience, it calls for us to live according to the faith of the Son of God believing that God has so justified us and glorified us. And as we find ourselves in that position, in our hearts and in our minds, we find ourselves dying to the life that is promised in the world that is all around us. So there is an experience that we're walking through. Now listen, one day this world is going to be glorified. We're not going to have this anymore. That's going to be done away with completely. And our bodies are going to be glorified. All of existence is going to be perfect. But as we walk in this world, in these not yet glorified bodies, we have influences on us daily that we have to deal with. And But we walk through that in the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And, and, and we know what the ramifications of that love was, that he fully justified us, eradicated our sin, and has glorified us. That is who we are. So it, it, that truth enables us to deal with that life that we're in. And that life sometimes can break in influence, influences on us that we have to deal with according to the truth. But listen to this. Here's a good example. Now, what, what, to what you're saying here, listen to how Paul closes out the 8th chapter. He says, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies. 
So God's not going to bring a charge against us because he's the one that justifies us. Who is it that condemns? Who's going to condemn us, right? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen from the dead, so who, who is even at the right hand of God making intercession for us. In other words, if there's somebody condemning us, Jesus was over there saying, this guy is mine. You can't touch him. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are like sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything under creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in the reality that he has fully justified us before his son, before God, and has glorified us. That is the mind of Christ. That's how Christ saw himself at the cross. He understood that he and his father were one, that his father loved him and would raise his body from the dead. That faith that was in him, that faith is also in us. Yeah. And listen, you got that faith. <laughs> you got something. Any thoughts, comments? I think something that can be helpful is to be in the flesh doesn't mean to be doing bad things. That's the fruit of being in the flesh. Um, being in the flesh doesn't mean to have a body. And now we got to try to get rid of a body so we're no longer in the flesh. To, to be in the flesh. And I love what Paul says there. He doesn't say when we were under the law. He said when we were in the flesh. That's right. Then the law was able to do this. Yes. Right? People confuse the law with being in the flesh. Yes. In the flesh, this means to be dwelling in the place where you think you can gather the life of God to yourself by your own strength. Yes. Right? To be in the flesh means that you think you can gather peace and love and joy to yourself by your ability, that you're going to gather life to yourself. You're going to clothe yourself in life. Adam was in the flesh when he was trying to clothe himself with fig leaves. That's what it means to be in the flesh. So I think I can help people to do, discern the scripture that those in the flesh cannot please God, right? How could a person that's trying to gather life to themselves please God? They can't because God doesn't want any to perish. And if a person is in the flesh thinking they can serve themselves with life, they're perishing, right? They're dying. They're being tormented by fear. Well, that can never please God, right? So God can never be happy with somebody living their lives by the sweat of their brow all the time trying to till their dying bodies, trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That could never make God happy because what will happen is, is they'll be left in the place where all they can say is, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? God could never be happy for a person to be stuck in the place where they're blind to his love, yes. where they're stuck in the place that they can't see that it's his good pleasure to give them the kingdom. He could never be happy with the older brother 
in the parable of the, the, the good father being over in the corner all upset because the younger brother was now getting the, the party, right? God could never be happy that the older brother was tormented on the outside, right? Because he wanted the older brother to know that everything he has has always been yours. So God can never be happy with the person thinking that they got to get an inheritance for themselves, right? He can never be happy with the person not knowing that there's an inheritance for them stored up in him. He can never be happy with a person not knowing that everything that he is and everything that he has, he's given to them freely. Yeah. He could never be happy, just like Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather you to myself, but you would not, right? So God could never be happy if a person didn't see that there's life for them in God's hand and it's free, right? Yeah. They could never be happy with that. Amen. Which was why a person in the flesh can't please God. Right. Right? And it, it, you see, when, when you interpret it that way, you realize that God isn't self-serving. He's always thinking of the other person. Right? When we when the way Deb's talking about being taught, if any person being in the flesh, they can't please God, we always looked at it as if God was thinking of himself instead of us. As if God would be unhappy because we weren't behaving right right? Well, that's God thinking of himself. Yep. When God looks at your bad behavior, he doesn't think of himself. He, he doesn't think of the negative effect it's having on his life. He's thinking of the negative effect it has on your life, right? So whenever it talks about God not being pleased, the reason why he wouldn't be pleased isn't self-serving. He's other-centered. He wouldn't be pleased because he sees that that way is killing someone he loves. And that's why he can't be pleased with someone in the flesh because they're dying. And he can never be happy with someone perishing. Just like it says, God being long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. God, who takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. So when it talks about God not being pleased with someone in the flesh, it, you could really interpret it as God's not pleased that the person is suffering destruction. That's what it would be. Yep. Right? Amen. The companion with Jesus on a cross saw the events unfolding and his desire of his heart like every human thing is to be loved he saw love for the first time yep jesus knew it said you're coming with me buddy that's right i mean fully apart from anything he had of it i can tell you now there may have been other people who said well you know maybe he changed his mind later on or whatever <laughs> this guy was where he was that's where he was you know you know, one little footnote to all of that. In, I know in the New International Version, where they use the term flesh, uh, they call it the sin nature, the sinful nature, mm -hmm. okay? That is a poor paraphrase of the term flesh because the flesh speaks of a mind or a belief system that was in man that brought death to him. It didn't speak of his nature. Otherwise, the thief dying on a cross next to Jesus would have had a, more of a problem than he did. Yep. It, it didn't have to do with his bad behavior or his not bad behavior, whether he could be given life like that because that guy didn't do anything good his whole life to our knowledge. 
God could look at him and see the innocence in that person's heart, he could see who that person really was. And if that person's if that person was actually actually had a sin nature that it that he was of sin, God could not have possibly done that. There was something there's something that dwell, dwells in the hearts of men that keeps them estranged from God, viewing God from the wrong perspective, both believing that it is all based on human behavior, their behavior, and their knowledge of good and evil. And they push away God in such a means. That belief system is what keeps man from God. So the, that is what the flesh speaks of. So it's just important that anybody who it might be reading the New International Version and reading Sin Nature there, that is a very poor paraphrase of those words. Anyway, I'll leave it with that, unless somebody else has any thoughts. Well, the, I, okay. I have so many thoughts. Sure. Oh, I'm sure you, you know, probably everybody, do. You know, everybody, you know, everybody's not uh -huh. having a lot of thoughts. I'm not the only one okay. having all these thoughts. <laughs> um, but I, I love how you, you've connected the, the, the depth to the flesh room, right? And how God leads yeah. us out of the carnal into the spiritual. And and so I just want to reiterate that for myself yeah. so it can it can stick. But you know, the law spoke about God likeness. Mm -hmm. It's it spoke about the fruit of God's life. That's one of the things it spoke about. Yeah. Now spiritually speaking, it spoke of God as the one that would decorate you in this life. Mm -hmm. But when we were in the flesh, we looked at the fruit of life thinking that the power to have or to be decorated in the fruit of God's life was our own strength. And when we looked at the fruit of God's life that the law painted, and we thought the power to have it was through the strength of the flesh, what it did was it set in motion the power of sin to produce its fruit in our lives, right? Yep. Now, we died to that way, or we God came and met us when we were there to lead us out of that which was carnal, because that was carnal, yep. into that which was spiritual, and the way that he did it was he came and conquered death in the body of Jesus. He came and conquered sin in the body of Jesus. And all of a sudden, what we see is God with us to decorate us in the fruit of God's life that we agree is good. And the moment we see God with us to decorate us in the fruit that we agree is good, the moment we see God with us to clothe us in life, what happens is, is we die to the way where we think we can clothe ourselves with life. And that's when the righteousness that's spoken of in the law could be manifested in us. Which, what is the righteousness that's spoken of in the law? The fruit of God's life, that's the righteousness. But also the righteousness that's spoken of in the law is to enter God's rest or to have one God, the Lord your God, which means to look to God and the strength in his hand to be able to decorate you with life. And when you see God with you, in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection, having overcome death and having served you with his incorruptible life, which is what it means to inherit God, what will happen is, is you'll die to the way where you think you're supposed to decorate yourself with life, right? And then what happens is, is the righteousness of God is born in you. You become decorated in the fruit of God's life because you're walking according to the Spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? In the context of Romans there, Walking according to the Spirit is that the Spirit leads you to the place where you cry out, Abba, is what Paul says. 
Well, the way the Spirit does that is it shows you God with you to decorate you in the life that you're all the time thinking that the law is telling you you got to decorate yourself in this life. That's right. And that's how God come and met us when we were strictly carnal, right? Yep. Earthy, only earthy, right? Knowing what's good, knowing what's evil, and thinking we're supposed to produce that which is good and not do what is evil, and that's how we're going to have life. He came and met us there in the person of Jesus, and then he conquered death in the flesh right in our midst. He showed us he's there to be the father of our life. He's with us to decorate us in life. He's with us to be our God, right? And then all of a sudden, the righteousness of the law, which is that you have, shall have one God, the Lord your God, you shall not look to your own arm to be the God of your life. All of a sudden, that becomes born in you, and you walk according to the Spirit. And then the fruit of God's life comes pouring out of you, yep. right? Yep. And so when I heard you talk, that's what I heard. And so I just wanted to share what I heard as you were speaking. Amen. Because it helps me, yeah. right? When I get an opportunity to talk about what I heard, it, it gets further implanted in me. So thank you so much. Not a problem. You know, it really, it's the it, it's man's interpretation of what the law was meant to do that caused them to be in that endless cycle of sin and death. Because they believe that it was through the deeds of the law that righteousness could be attained. But Jesus came to show us that there's only one place that life can be attained. And that is to come to an end of yourself for righteousness, your efforts toward righteousness, and allow him to give it to you. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. That does not equate in the minds of most people in religion. Because it says, I don't have to do anything. I believe God can give it to me and has given it to me. That's why it doesn't equate to the carnal mind. The spiritual mind says, I believe and know that he has given me his life and his life is now my life, that the fruit of that life might be manifest in me. That's what it's all about. Anyway, enjoy it, guys. Y'all have a good Sunday. Awesome.